Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Welcome to another episode of Leader Dialogue, brought to you by the Malcolm Baldridge Foundation and our sponsor, About Healthcare. I'm Dr. Chuck Peck, and as always, I'm honored to be joined by some friends of mine, Ben Sawyer and Dr. Darren Versillo. Darren and Ben are executives at About Healthcare and always join myself and my co-host, Roger Spoolman, for these podcasts. Roger is still on some extended vacation today, so it'll be me and my friends, and we're going to have a good time today, I think. We're excited to, to be with you, Darren and, and Ben. You, you guys had a good new year. We did. Thank you. Yes. Great. So what we want to do today is we want to discuss ways to try to help organizations like yours stabilize revenue and operations in this really, really challenging environment. You know, as somebody who also sees clients on a regular basis, even I don't think was expecting, you know, COVID to come roaring back in the way that it's been impacting clients again, particularly over the last couple of months. But I think we're all needing to try to plan for getting back to some modicum of normalcy and and stabilizing our revenue streams and our our expenses and our operations is going to be a really important task, I think, that everybody's going to meet and, and need to take on over the next several months and years for sure. So I'm very excited today. We have a special guest with us, Dr. Scott Wolf. Scott is uh, an Associate Director of Healthcare Improvement at the Berkeley Research Group. Uh, Scott is the former president of Southern New Hampshire Health Systems and uh, had been Vice President of Operations and Chief Physician Executive at Lee Health System in Fort Myers. What we would like to utilize Scott's talents and experience for today are are his extensive experience in creating and implementing and really effective hospital growth and patient care strategies, uh, leading M&A initiatives, and evolving total health management solutions. So welcome, Scott. Uh, It's great to have you here with us, and we look forward to uh, having a good discussion today on on those topics. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate the, uh, the invitation. Absolutely. So I know that Darren and Ben, we've spent uh, the last few sessions talking about the severe strain on our people resources. And we've we talked about that a great deal, but I, I, I wanted to start by having Scott just make a few comments about uh, his experience around people, leveraging them, but particularly around how to utilize people in this difficult time to their top of license and how to really, you know, allow them to be as effective and efficient as they possibly can be. So, Scott, maybe you want to make a few comments about that before we move to some other topics. First and foremost, I do want to take the opportunity to recognize our our people and our staffing and our resources. Um, as we all know, we want to recognize their heroic efforts to these, these frontline staff, our physicians, our nurses, our support staff who go in day in and day out and truly make the ultimate sacrifice in putting the needs of their patients and their communities ahead of theirs. So 
really just want to give uh, a, a very appropriate shout out and recognition to their efforts. But in, in, in regards to, to your introductory question and in thinking about today's discussion, I wanted to try to summarize and condense uh, the construct around that thought around three fundamental issues. And that is, and Ben, this will resonate with you because you and I have had this conversation for the better part of the last 10 years. But when you think about achieving optimal outcomes in an organization, it really looks at, at three underpinnings, the three-legged stool. And that is, and it starts, as you said, with Chuck, with people, but people process and technology. And I think we need to really leverage each of those uh, constructs in supporting our staff and our resources. Um, we're losing our workforce at, at unprecedented rates. We're also uh, creating a gap in our workforce as our more seasoned uh, nurses are leaving our organizations and being uh, replaced and backfilled with new graduates who we greatly appreciate. We're, we're creating that gap in, in intellectual knowledge and experience. And so it behooves us to really leverage our processes, optimizing our operations and our technology to support our existing staff and resources so that they can work to the highest levels of their license. Um, and we can create environments that makes them more efficient and more effective uh, in delivering uh, the care that our patients uh, need. So thanks, Scott, for those comments. And, you know, I think that that's a good segue into uh, my next question. And I, I know that Ben and Darren will definitely have some comments about this. But, you know, one of the things that that I have found some of my clients most frustrated about is that they've spent a tremendous amount of capital on what they thought were, were going to be complementary technologies that would help them facilitate a number of these issues around people, process, et cetera, that you just talked about. And I don't know what your experience has been, but I know a lot of, a lot of the folks that I know really thought that if they spent all that money on, electronic, on an electronic medical record, that they could really utilize that to help with some of the current issues. But the other thing that's that's become very obvious over the number of years is that number one, most of them are only utilizing a small piece of that electronic medical record that they purchased. Not only that, um, I think that they that they it's still in the infancy for them in terms of thinking about things like artificial intelligence, what to do with telemedicine. Uh, I think a lot of again, a lot of folks thought about telemedicine as sort of a new wave of technology that they could best utilize during COVID, but now they're really not sure exactly what to do with that going forward. It'd be great if we could talk a little bit about how to actually leverage technology, not just to assist with some of the people issues, but also to, to assist with some of the, the revenue and operational process issues that people are facing today. So Scott, I don't know if you want to go first, but why don't you go ahead and let us know what you're thinking, and then we'll turn it over to Darren and Ben for some thoughts. Obviously, technology is a significant resource uh, of support, as I, as I referenced with regards to optimizing our operations. When I think about technology, you know, certainly it, it pulls into uh, the spectrum of machine learning, of automation. But I also think that we need to leverage technology, as you alluded to, through our electronic medical records in integrating our information and putting information into the hands of our decision makers, turning data into information. 
Examples of that could be providing you know, clinical intelligence to our providers at the bedside, providing operational intelligence to our operational leaders at the bedside, for instance, in, in optimizing flow and throughput throughout an organization, and not just through an acute care episode, but also the pre-acute, through the acute, and then most importantly, in my opinion, to those post-acute transitions of care. I can give you an example from some of our, my previous organizations where we had nine process measures that we would look at from the emergency department on through to the post-acute space and really looking at that information and putting that information into the hands of the appropriate operators so that we can ensure the seamless transition of patients to the right side of service. And I think when you, when you leverage that technology and that information and make it seamlessly integrated not only with, with the EMR, as you alluded to, but throughout the entire uh, journey of care, then you can optimize those transitions and then support those resources that we talked about to make their care plans more efficiently and effectively implemented. Ben, I, I'd be curious for your, for your input. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think what's, what is uh, really important for health systems as they approach this is that they are looking at what they're trying to accomplish, right, operationally, whether it's access or patient throughput or any other aspect of their organization, and then look at their existing technology, EMR and otherwise, and there will be certain things that they'll have to address. So do they have end-to-end support of their processes? If not, is it a interoperability or integration issue? Is it a process gap issue? Is it a people and resource issue? Do they need to do some enhancement of their base EMR uh, functionality to be able to get to a composable solution that provides them essentially the capability to have kind of this real-time health system performance, uh, Chuck and Scott, that you've talked about? So I think there's some baselining that has to occur. Anyone that has the assumption that they're going to take in an EMR, for example, and then you know, once it's all deployed, they're going to get really great performance is probably uh, overestimating and, and and you know, have over expectations of what that technology can provide. It requires a real look at what you're trying to accomplish and how all those component pieces come together. So, Darren, you know, one of the things that we try to do on these podcasts is is give people some real practical advice and tips on how they would start to think about things like artificial intelligence, how they would start to think about how to integrate some of these technologies that we just talked about. And I know uh, you've done a lot of work in this area uh, at About, and I wondered if you could potentially give the audience some thoughts about that, as well as some real practical advice on how they might get started looking at some of these technologies. Certainly, thank you. And, and wow, I just echo what uh, both uh, Scott and Ben have touched upon, some very important points that I, I want to mention here as well. And interestingly enough, this comes just on the heels of a personal experience that uh, I just had over this past week while I was down in California visiting my uh, family for the New Year holiday. And uh, my dad ended up in the hospital with a cardiac arrhythmia. And as of today, right now, he's still sitting there six days into this hospital stay, uh, waiting to be transferred to another hospital. Uh, where they can actually do his ablation procedure and, and get things done. And and so, you know, I guess two sort of frustrating things. One, as a, as a physician, not being able to actually participate in, in his care and knowing everything that's going on. I'm sure Chuck and Scott, you've experienced that. 
uh, where you're you're kind of a, a bystander and an observer as opposed to uh, uh, helping to run the show. But also sitting there waiting for you know my loved one to be transferred and to get the right care, Scott, to the point that you made, getting people to the right transitions, the right areas of care in a timely manner, and that not happening because you know there's no beds or there's no nurses or there's no uh, capacity to take care of him at the uh, at the big university uh, level one trauma center that they're trying to send him to. So watching this all unfold has been just an interesting view on my part as to really, to your point, Chuck, how things work in the trenches when it's personal. You know, the first thing I want to touch on is this idea of automation, Uh, whether it's AI, whether it's technology that people are working in as an operational technology, whether it's data coming out reporting, you know, you can automate a lot of different things. But to the point that Ben made, if you don't address the process issues, then you're just making bad process faster and, and probably more proliferative. And so I think from my experience with about healthcare, uh, as we look at the technology we bring to the table and the technology that's being used in healthcare systems currently to the points that have been made, either uh, they're not fully being leveraged or they're not being leveraged in the best way. Optimally, you do have a trusted partner who comes in and works with you on the strategy and the success pathway to make sure that your investment actually pays off for you and uh, that your technology really gives you the, the two things that you're really looking for, right? Mission and margin. You, you, you're there to take care of patients and better their lives. You're there to also run a business. And the twain should meet very well in the investments that you make and the payoff uh, you get. I, I wanted to touch on um, what Scott said uh, with regard to integrating information. What a challenge that's been over the past couple of decades now where certain organizations, certain companies have taken a non-integrative stance with regard to information flow between theirs and other systems. I think this is something that that hospital and healthcare systems need to push hard on to uh, force their vendors to talk to each other and to exchange information so the decision makers can make the decisions they need in a well-informed way and patients can get the care they need in a well-facilitated way and not in silos and chopped up. And quite frankly, spending a lot of money, we don't have to because we are overly repetitive about gathering that information from, uh, from different systems. So just to you know, cap off my two cents worth, I think we have great, great opportunities to leverage the investments that we've made from a technology standpoint by partnering with the right experts and, and, and our vendors to make sure that we get the absolute most out of the investments we've made and that we don't automate bad process and that we get the vendors, the technology vendors, communicating with each other in a more meaningful way so our systems are better equipped to jointly handle the uh, challenges that we're facing and definitely will ch- uh, face in the future. Darren, just to add to that, Chuck, you and I were talking about how sometimes internally, because we're not aligned as healthcare executives on our system mission, that can actually compromise our ability to get the full extent out of our technology. I don't know if you want to share that example you were talking to me about uh, the other day 
where that was kind of coming into focus, where an organization was having a hard time managing capacity because the facilities were serving themselves in terms of what they needed to do with capacity and were therefore not really uh, working together around a system aim. Yeah, well, Ben, this, there's really two things that I, I was thinking about as we as I was listening to Darren, Darren and Scott. So the example involves a, a large system client of mine with 14 hospitals, and two of those hospitals are only 12 miles away from each other. One of those hospitals currently during the, the COVID surge is at about 110% capacity. The other hospital 12 miles away is at about 40% capacity. And yet their lack of systemness, which by the way, we'll be talking about uh, in some future podcasts coming up soon, their lack of systemness has not allowed them to figure out how to decant the, the terrible overflow of people in the hallways and the emergency room from the one hospital and getting them over to the other hospital that has capacity for them. And this is within the same system, that, which gets me to another point that I think we should talk about here in a minute relative to the technology. And then also, uh, as we begin to talk here in a minute about, about access for patients, is the tremendous impact that the government regulations and the reimbursement system has on some of the decisions that are being made, both in terms of technology, in terms of access, in terms of the systemness that we just talked about. It, it makes it very, very challenging for the folks on the, on the phone listening to us to, to implement some of the things that we're talking about. And the, the other thing I'll just comment on, which I'd like to hear from Scott and Darren on again as, as physicians as well. You know, I, I read something interesting recently and it made me think. So there was a post on, on LinkedIn that talked about, it was written by a physician executive. It talked about how it takes 13 years to really become a physician today, from the time you start college to the end of your residency. So that doesn't even include fellowship training, specialty training, et cetera. So if it takes 13 years to become a physician, why do physicians in this day and age have to spend half of the, the time that they're taking care of patients doing administrative work? Half the time, okay, half the time on administration, utilizing the electronic medical record. So we're talking about this technology as, as if everybody assumes it's been a facilitator. And if you talk to clinicians, nurses, doctors, um, I, I think you'd get a different response as to whether it would, it's been a facilitator or not. I think we'd all agree as physicians on the panel here that it certainly has helped quality. I think it's certainly helped reliability. I think it certainly has helped consistency. But it's also been a huge issue. And, and I wonder, you know, if Darren and Scott have some thoughts about how we can how we can use what I'll call empathetic automation. Automation that actually understands the patient physician, the patient nurse, the patient clinician interaction in a way that makes things better, not harder. Scott, you want to take that? I, I appreciate the opportunity to address that because that's a, you know, that's a, a real issue today. You know, you talk about physician burnout and, and again, our, you know, our physician resources um, you know, leaving their fields uh, because of some of those challenges that you just articulated. And again, and I think part of it and foundationally, it's, it's bringing those physician leaders and providers to the table on the front end and helping design, uh, you know, some of these systems and leveraging the information that resides in the EMR, but doing so in a way that it can reduce some of the burdensome 
unnecessary variation that exists in our care practices, some of the redundancies that our providers have to go through, even within fully integrated systems, let alone uh, virtual uh, integrated systems within a community. And so you're, you're, you're spot on when it comes to the need uh, to really leverage the information, but doing so in a much more efficient, effective way. You know, one of the practical applications uh, that you referenced earlier is, you know, the establishment of these central command centers and really, lever- you know, having systems and communities integrate that information within their own uh, virtual electronic records and systems so that to the example that you just articulated that happens and plays out each and every day, that you have a virtual dashboard of the entire system with regards to capacity and access points. You know, which hospitals in your systems have beds? What is the ED capacity uh, in each of the facilities in a, com- in a particular community? What are the admissions and discharges that are expected within a, a specific system? And what's the capacity in the, po- in the post-acute space? What are our sniff beds looking like? What's home care resources looking like? And leveraging all of that integrated information so that you can actually drive intelligent decision-making with regards to appropriating the patients to the right side of service. If you know for a fact that there are no, that sniff capacity in a particular community is maximized, how do we leverage home care resources so that maybe providing care in the home is more effective uh, approach than just waiting three, four, five, even longer days in a hospital where you know each excess day results in in higher risk of hospital-acquired infections as opposed to sending them home with the appropriate resources. Darren, your thoughts? Scott, you've touched on some just incredible thoughts there. And, you know, the idea of being able to see a system-wide view of capacity, that's something that we've dealt with uh, directly for a, a long period of time here. But look at the pandemic, interestingly enough, it's catalyzed even a kind of a larger strategic vision uh, like the state of Arizona and a couple of other states, which have now crossed over multiple systems to see statewide capability. So they can do inter-system movement of patients, even interstate coming across state lines to be able to facilitate great patient care. And to your point, do it in an expeditious and, and, and thoughtful manner. Again, just kind of reflecting back on this experience I've had this past week with my dad trying to get transferred out of Arcadia where he lives over to, you know, Los Angeles. And the the physicians that were there in his particular hospital picking up their cell phones, calling uh, people that they have known from years past. Hey, is there any way that you can facilitate this through some back end channel? I sat in ERs with with ER docs as I've uh, worked in, in my own hospital here north of Salt Lake where they've called 20 different hospitals to try and get a patient transferred. And so with the, uh, you know, with, with better use of technology, information exchange, visibility of capacity, creating better pathways of transferring uh, records and information, not to mention physically the patient uh, themselves, we could really establish a whole new paradigm of being able to leverage all of these resources that we have to Chuck's point, you have one hospital that's you know redlining at 110% and another that's only half full, that's within the same system. But what a wonderful world it could be if we could all work together across systems. And, and perhaps it's gonna take county, state, federal government officials to catalyze that, fund it, and to get it to happen, and very willing uh, healthcare systems to participate in a meaningful way. Love to see that happen. 
I think all boats would rise with the tide as well. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, based on on all your experiences, you know one of the one of the big issues obviously patients are having today is is gaining what I guess I would call the appropriate access to receive the care they need. Uh, we've been so focused on acute care and reactive care, um, we've sort of put preventive care off to the side a little bit because of everything that's been going on. What would your advice be for the health systems that are listening? What would be the the top one or two things that you believe they could do today to improve access to patients that would also be part of helping them stabilize their their revenue streams? Darren, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I'm glad you've touched upon this because we don't want to just focus, obviously, like you say, on the reactive acute uh, one area that I think would be tremendous would be to streamline referral processes from the primary care area over to subspecialty care. Right now for, you know, an internist like myself or, or, or yourselves or a family practice doctor or others to get somebody in for a referral in the orthopedics or referral in neurology, that's a tough process between the approvals and the and the actual scheduling itself. But But not only does that improve patient care, but it keeps the leakage from happening outside of the health system where your primary care doctors are now referring 70% of their patients out to a physician that doesn't bring their surgeries to your hospital. I would think that that's something that healthcare um, executives would really want to focus on for mission and margin. Thank you, Scott. I'll underscore that. You know, uh, I referenced that as network integrity, really leveraging and making sure that we're maximizing the resources to keep patients within their own communities, which is so vitally important to those patients and their families and, and, and caregivers. You know, I think also to the point of access, uh, two things come to mind. Again, I go back uh, to that, those central command centers where you can actually um, really coordinate and navigate patients to the right side of service based on the needs that they articulate with. Uh, so often, you know, a patient calls and the first, the first message they hear is if this is a medical emergency, call 911. And so obviously they're, they're being directed uh, to the most high cost, least efficient source uh, of care, which is our emergency rooms, which right now are so vitally needed uh, to provide the care to those patients that are truly in need, but also really leveraging the, the construct of a care team. And what I mean by that is really embracing uh, the full complement of team members uh, to really support and provide care to those patients. You know, not every patient at every point of, of service needs to be seen by a, a physician. We have advanced practice clinicians, we have physician's assistants, we have care and case managers that in many, many times could be placed at the right side of service to leverage their knowledge and expertise to, to making sure that the patient's needs are being addressed. So really leveraging the construct of that care team and how to incorporate and embrace that model uh, within their construct, I think is something to contemplate. Well, thanks, uh, Scott, Ben, and Darren. Uh, great conversation today. Ben, I, I thought I might just turn it over to you to close us out by letting our listeners know what they might expect in our next few podcasts. And um, I'll just say, I hope everybody has a healthy and safe new year. Sounds good, Chuck. I appreciate that and enjoyed the conversation. So for our listening audience, what we have uh, going on is we're going to continue the what next conversation we have uh, Dr. Spoolman will be coming back in to talk about how to approach some of these things that we've been talking about in a very unique way. There is a, uh, an approach that he used when he was the CEO at Loyola on the 12-week year. We're also going to be having discussions about systemness 
And a number of the things that we've talked about, we will be expanding upon, including practical things like if you're trying to anticipate capacity across your system in all care venues, how do you do that up front when you're considering the access of patients and how can you leverage your technology to do that? So lots of good conversations coming forward. And we just wish, again, all of our listening audience a very happy new year. 